Uh, so that was a live show that was. Thanks for everyone that came out on what looks like the last normal day before coronavirus took over. Yeah, before Armageddon. It's scary, eh? Like, it was a really good live show, but, like, since then... I'm pretty sure that the big Kiwi guy's probably still stuck in broadcast somewhere right now getting drunk. Throwing whiskey on someone, bourbon and coke on someone. He, he was basically a guest host for the night, wasn't he? And, and bless him. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, you guys handled him well. I think he was a nice guy. He just probably had too much piss. And it's testament to how good your accent like, you, and your speaking skills is because half the time I had no idea what the guy was saying. And he had <laughs> such think, a deep, strong New Zealand accent. I don't think half the time he was saying words, he was just kind of making noises. Like, thanks for coming up, mate. But, yeah. Yeah, and just keep listening, man. Do you know what? We appreciated everyone that uh, came along, uh, especially given the circumstances and the amount of money we raised as well. And big shout out to Mark Cox. We'll find out tomorrow, the day after this episode releases, uh, whether or not we can save that recording. So hopefully we can and we'll get it on the go. Um, but do you know what, man? It's, it's a fucking messed up world we're in right now. Uh, no, uncharted territory for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, so we just want to say, be careful, be caring, be safe, be cautious, and most important, Shane... Don't be a dick. Exactly. And never, ever, ever fucking panic by, man, because if we see anybody vulnerable or old or both in the middle of the supermarket and they can't get the shit they need because we've stocked up in 17 packs of pasta, then that's just going to make you feel shit. So don't don't join that gang. You know what you could do? <laughs> it's shit admin, but it's worth a try if you're able to do it. Make your own pasta. We're going to try that tonight. It will turn out fucking horribly, but... Uh, uh, you know, it saves the resources from people that actually need it, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, so this week's podcast, we've got Susan McCabe on, and she's the sort of person that we could have spoken to for hours. Sort of person you want to be in self-isolation with because she's <laughs> so funny and interesting. And she's an absolute belter of a comedian you should all check out. The intro of this podcast, if you can remember it, Shane, it's going to make everybody hungry. So make sure you eat before it or get ready to order a takeaway halfway through it. Um, we speak about Susie's comedy career, what happened when she came out to her parents, and there's, despite promises, there's some number two chat again, um, but it's all above board and medical. <laughs> yeah, she, honestly, she is such a lovely human. She's such a, like, I was sitting there going, Susie, I, I know you, you like ladies, but I would love to marry you right now. Um, and honestly, you'll listen to it and you'll just fall in love. She's such a such a beautiful human. Yeah, you want to be best friends with her. The reason we got Susie in, despite the fact that she's an awesome human and we wanted to hear her story, is she was promoting a huge gig that was coming up at the Kings. And because of the mad shit that's going on in the world, she's had to cancel that, which we completely understand. And I'm sure everyone that was going understands as well. It will probably be rearranged. So as soon as that's rearranged, go out and support Susie. And... This episode, just to give you some context, a wee bit longer because of the fact that Susie was such an awesome human being and we could have spent uh, time talking to her, but it's purpose-built for self-isolation if you need that. Listen twice. <laughs> if you're in self-isolation, you go, fuck, what can I do? Listen to this twice. Go through the back catalogue, but yeah. And uh, what's the... Go drink some Drygate, eh? Yeah, drink hey? some Drygate. That comes up at the start of the episode, so we don't need to plug that again. But as <laughs> always, if you like what we do... Please, please share the podcast with anyone you think might like it. That's what we heard on Thursday night. Everyone was saying, oh, I put my mate onto it. That's why we are here. And share it on all social media platforms so we get a wee ego boost and drop a re- uh, drop a review if you're able to. 
Not uh, TikTok though. Not TikTok because we're not on TikTok. Nah, nah. But we might. You never know what could fucking come from this boredom of two weeks of isolation. <laughs> if we get it, when um, isolation kicks off, we're just going to be doing weird fucking dances. <laughs> That's basically what we're going to be doing. Uh, final word, guys. Stay safe. Uh, things look like they're about to get more scary out there, but keep the heat, and we should all be on the other side soon. And just be fucking nice to each other, man. And make pasta. <laughs> The following podcast contains three mates talking shit over some beers. As you can imagine, the language can get a wee bit hairy from time to time. So, get involved. Grab a beer and join us for Drunk Therapy, the podcast. We've uh, we've had loads of guests in recently, like fucking loads. And we've had loads of comedians. We've got another one joining us, Susie McCabe's with us. Susie, how are you? I'm good. I am... On my third can. Excellent. <laughs> I'm thinking about chicken pakora. <laughs> a lovely drygate beer at that as well. Oh, yeah. Lo- lovely, yeah. lovely. Right. Susie, do you want to do the advert this week for <laughs> drygate? Because they kind of sponsor us now a wee bit. I'm going to no get money's exchanged hands, they just give us free beer. So, listen, I'm a cooking lager kind of lassie, right? I like a pint with a big tea on it, right? And I'm always like, IPAs, what a lot of shit, right? And I've came in here tonight and you have gave me a, I'm on my third can of Rise Up UK, which is an orange and mango pale ale and it is delish. I'm also going to be at the dry cake. Can I talk about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is synergy. This is the, brand on synergy. The, on the 15th of March as part of the comedy festival, doing an in conversation. Which I hopefully they will give me free beer and it will be a really interesting conversation. Well, what we'll do is we'll release this the day before. Amazing. And it'll just be the exact same set. <laughs> Rise, Rise Up UK, I think, was cleared out by Draggy after the election as well. Was, like, they probably just went, nah, there's no need for this. It looks like a wee Northern Soul yeah, emblem, doesn't it? So I like it. No, I like it. It's really, really nice. Uh, and to be fair, that boozer's like a mile from my house. So. And I love a boozer, and it's still a bit of a boozer. So, yeah, no, it's good stuff. See, seamless. We don't even need to do that this week. That's I don't think we do. Yeah, by the way, is there any truth in the... I'm saying remote. It's not like it's been fucking propagated. Oh, I think I know. Is there any truth in the fact that you can't get Pecora outside Scotland? Well, I, I travel a lot. And, uh, no, down south, you certainly can't get it. You also get shit kebabs. Aye. Like, see all that? Do you want fucking a garlic sauce? No, mate. I want chilli sauce. Aye, that, that goes hand in hand with that. Aye, meat. and then like they put like full chilies in your kebab. Like, mm. what, and also, do you know what really annoys me? I'm old school, right? See if I want a kebab on a naan bread, I would order a kebab on a giant naan bread. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? But I quite like a wee pita bread and see all that. Oh, you get a mini naan, get the fuck. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. If I want a naan, I want a huge nan. This is a story well, of my um, life. What? Are you just getting a... <laughs> I, like how, I like how that's what you stand for in life, eh? One day, nah, when that, you pass away, that's on your tombstone. Like, a nan-shaped tombstone. <laughs> yes, yes. A, a giant nan, not one of those fucking small <laughs> ones. Fucking... A necropolis, a necropolis-type fucking Aye, Who uh, wants gravestone? a nan that's the size of your hand? No one. You want like, one that's the size of your face. Tell me this, you're out here, a girlfriend. And you're in an Indian, there's a great Indian in Duke Street called mm. Nakoda. Mm. Um, you're in Nakoda. Does it know the Nakoda? Yeah. See, but it's either Nakoda. <laughs> I've been told it's Nakoda. Right. This, this man pretends that he lives in Deniston. Yeah. <laughs> this man's never I mean, lived in Deniston in his life. Nah. Get that social mobility. <laughs> I live 
I lived in Sword Street for many years. That in, is, that's not even Dennis. He lived in Be- that's borderline Gallagher. It's pal. fucking Fox, Bell Grove. He lived round the corner for the Bell Grove you're, Hotel. You're basically with the Jakeys. Like, which there's yeah. nothing wrong with. You know what I mean? There's a lot of Jakeys. Mm, yeah. But yeah. it's not the, what did you call it? The Nicoda. No, that sounds like a set of skis. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Wait, wait, wait. See, right. You used to catch the Belgrade train as we'll, well. We'll phone them. <laughs> we'll phone them and see how they answer. Right, you right, uh, you talking. do that. So you know, do you know Des McLean, the comedian? Yes. Yes, he goes. Des McLean goes every Sunday, right? And Des has got a curry in there named after him. And Des calls us an Akadar, and he's never even lived in Sword Street. So. Is that I, not I, I think we should phone well. them because we, we have this argument know, with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's family. See if we can get an order and pick <laughs> <laughs> up in the mail. They, they, they have lovely picora. Oh, it's I like this. so nice. The freebie it's it's, it's not like chippy picora, is it? It's like properly handmade picora. Like I, Neil Buchanan's so, making it. So like I can make picora, right? Because you don't get this size and they'll be able to make picora in the house. But I once had the worst picora ever in Grangemouth, right, when I went into a chippy and I thought, I don't fancy it, I'll just get some pakora. And they had normal pakora, and when you ordered it, they then dipped it in batter mm. and then served you it. So, and you could get a pakora supper. Like, who's eating a pakora supper? Nice. That's, that is disgusting. So they had a pakora and two rounds of batter, which had been fried twice. And I was like, do you know what, Grangemouth? I hope you all die. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> by the sounds of it, three of them and they're gone anyway. That's <laughs> I was like, imagine getting your kid that on a Friday night. Would you want for the chippy a pakora supper? Oh, well, it's been nice knowing you. It's like we test our limits in Scotland sometimes with that, don't we? So it's like, see when the munchie box first came out and everyone's like, that's an amazing thing. And then chip shops try to do like a chippy munchie what box. I was like, come on, guys. No. Let's, like, here's free sausages. I will tell you something amazing so you know Benny's on the parade just at the pedestrian crossing no but the... James does James calls it Ben Wise <laughs> <laughs> I'm a calm time boy now Ben's potato speciality right, so. right. I'll let you finish this and then I've got a number and we're going to phone these guys right, definitive okay. answers okay and uh, I um, I was at a 70th birthday party and at that birthday party uh, the, it was actually my mother was it was round the corner in the bowling club round the corner and they ordered a chippy buffet, right? Which was honestly sensational. So there was loads of like single fish, single sausage, like everything. And then everything's come, loads of bags of chips, bag of butter drolls, sauces, couple of jars of pickles. And everyone was like, this is the best buffet ever. But that's the situation for it. Not sitting in your gaff and then having oh. that much chippy food. I've ordered a chippy munchie box once before in my life and it was at a time where I was just like financially fucking destitute like I was, I'd was, i lost my wallet and I had no, I had like 20 quid left and I ordered a chippy munchie box thinking So that, that was fiscally responsible. <laughs> <you're> destitute. <laughs> I thought it would last me a few days. Oh man! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> An Indian munchie box would last you a well, few days, not a chippy. I had, I was hung over as well, which may have came into my thinking, but I it was that way where I was so hungover that I'd eat maybe say like half a black pudding and some of the pizza and some chips and then went in my bed. And the next day I tried eating this chippy munchie box cold and I nearly started crying because I felt so ashamed of myself. Yeah, you, yeah. And you should. <laughs> too much chips, right? I need to phone. I need to phone. Before you do where, that, where is... do you need to phone, James? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, what are you saying? What 
is a chippy munchy box. It's disgusting. Do you know what a munchy box is like you get from the Indian? Uh, kind of. I, is that not just everything? Aye, so yeah. it's like pakora chips, onion rings, donor meat, maybe chicken tikka, mm. whatever, right? All that in a box. Chinese yeah. munchy box by the game changer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how we're like, <laughs> Chinese like one, we love it, but like nah, not a fish basically, chip. in it? A Chinese Aye. munchy box. You get the ribs, you get the oh, salt and Aye, these, pepper chicken. I'll, I'll tell you how to make salt and pepper chicken. You make it in the house. It's I'm, dynamite. Tell us after this. These things, Shane, contain like protein, whereas a chippy munchy box just is stodge. It's just everything fried. So you'll get Greece. like a burger, but it's fried, a bit of a pizza crunch, a couple of bits of fried fish, maybe a black pudding, maybe a pie, which has been fucking fried, and then just <laughs> chips. <laughs> then just fucking topped up with chips. And a pie supper's not a bad thing. <laughs> every oh, now and then. It's, no, it's terrible. A steak pie supper's all right, but a pie mm. and a chippy a is supper. basically just clogging an but artery. It's not, like, it's like, Slow suicide. Yep, pie go down. It's just dripping in fucking grease, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will say a pie supper is the only. uh, The Blue Lagoon (laughs) is a renowned awful chippy. I get a pie supper for the Blue Lagoon, and it's the only time I've ordered food steaming and went. This is fucking barking. Like this is reeking. Like there is, there was a line like when I was like maybe eighteen to twenty two, and you knew your level of drunkenness depending on if you woke up with a blue lagoon receipt because <laughs> you went oh no i've i've got food poisoning for the next three days man this is terrible they shut the one down on the what is it bath street as well like that was an institution oh so yeah, was the pub. yeah yeah but that's the yeah but the pub's away well. as well and yeah they're building a fucking hotel of course they are a blue lagoon hotel with <laughs> <laughs> justin beavers to come like to it brew dog but the chippy version <laughs> <laughs> just to, just quickly like you rushed over this one but a chippy crunch can you someone tell me what it, i know what it is pizza but just for, crunch. yeah oh yeah sorry a pizza crunch for i know what it is it's but disgusting. for people that don't know because it's the most mental thing i've it's ever disgusting. seen disgusting it's not i, I see i quite like again oh. i a pizza crunch so it depends how you can get it's like a salty pizza there's crunch two versions you can well as a, you can get fried pizza which is like cheap pizza fried and then you get pizza crunch which is the same cheap pizza but battered and then fried <laughs> and a pizza crunch is something that you can eat like a quarter of it and go oh, i'm quite enjoying this and then by the time you've finished that second quarter you kind of want to go and have a bath like you Aye. feel a bit boggy. i've never eaten a pizza crunch and, and you know i'm not actually a fan of a deep fried pizza either no. i am at the chippy i am right and this is a game changer you go into the chippy and you say you can have a half chicken supper and batter right listen to me listen to me you then go home and if you want the batter eat the batter right <laughs> if you're that way inclined <laughs> I, it's not for me. Just it's, feed it to the dog. See, when you take it off, that is the most succulent chicken that you'll ever have because the batter protects it. So you're, you're giving the chicken the moisture it deserves? Yeah, but also, <laughs> this is my, see when, <laughs> see when chippies came into existence, you were never meant to eat the batter. It was there to protect the fish so, so that when you took well, it off, that's I've how seen it was. something about, about this. That recently, yeah. this aye. Aye. And it was like somebody getting absolutely roasted on the internet because they said aye, that. Aye, they... aye, aye. I watched that programme and this and a fish supper came about because it was a way to, it was a cheap, it was a cheap meal, right? Uh-huh. It was, you know, fish and yeah. chips and you dipped the fish in batter so that because a fried fish was just a fried, brittle, Sloppy fish. thing, yeah. Wasn't it? So you put it in batter, and then the idea is that you would take the batter off, and you would have really moist, succulent fish. My God, when did the, it? Uh, when did I it? am resistant. <laughs> <laughs> you were, honestly, I am literally biting my face. <laughs> right, you ready for this? Go for it, Nakata. 
Hello, Nakoda Grill. How can I help? Excuse me. Um, I'm. This is going to sound random. I'm in a. I'm in an argument with my partner, and she thinks that this restaurant's called uh, Nakador, but I said it was called Nakoda. Could you confirm, please? <laughs> All right. Um, actually, I really don't know. Usually, like people saying Nakador. Nakador. Or Nakoda. What do you? What would you think? Like, can yeah. you ask someone? Sure. Just a minute, okay. <laughs> That's the most fence thing I've ever heard. I can't believe I became heterosexual in this <laughs> James told us this was his plan all I'm along. So <laughs> we have to role play a wee bit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You've created a lie that now you have to continue. No, I'm need to go home he said he kids. said nah, I could By the way, <laughs> this place won't let us have a chippy buffet at the reception when you guys get married. Oh, <laughs> correctly pronunciation is Nakoda. Nakoda, thank no. you very much, mate. I really appreciate that. Cheers. Right, cheers. Have a good night, man. Bye, you too. Bye, bye. Wow. Yes. That's game changing. <laughs> yeah. It's you fucking tell Pesley Clayton that. I'm in a heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been quite happy for the past 20 years sleeping with women. Now I'm like, oh, I'm going to give him a blowjob today. <laughs> Jesus. No, but you can use this argument as an excuse to get out of it. Yeah. And it was great. Listen, he took me for a curry first. <laughs> this is what happens. Oh, I'm really impressed with that. I never win anything in this podcast. Well, you've won me, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> it's the main, it's yep. the best prize Over there is. Over a sugar, sugar, <laughs> getting on. Is it, is, is yeah. A weird thing to point out that I've still not finished my introduction for this podcast. <laughs> oh, you're so bad at I, I think we need to segue anyway. <laughs> from ben. Well, I was the same last time. I bought a pie for Billy Kirkwood the last time and then he left and I'd forgot to even bring up because now you get like a, um, we're, we're veering off already. Speaking pie this, chat, I think yeah. if we, She's a fat lesbian. We'll just no, no, this is for Billy. <laughs> she loves them metaphorically. Yeah. And she'll love to eat them. You're, you're <laughs> twice. Bite the face again. <laughs> I bought a reduced to clear steak pie for Billy Cutcliffe. Forgot to bring it up wow. for you. By the way, that somebody just uh, for the what result. Happened? What happened yeah. to this pie? Somebody. I was sitting in the kitchen eating my uh, lunch the other day. Somebody opened the fridge and went, "Whose pie is this?" I knew full well whose pie this was <laughs> because I didn't want to explain the backstory on Mummy ate bought it for Billy Cockwood for a podcast. That's I just that- looked up and I went. That doesn't look like anybody's that pie. Was three weeks ago. <laughs> it was just yesterday she pulled it out. Oh, that's bogging. But yeah. anyway, Susie, I was going to say that like, we've met before, mm-hmm. and you, you don't need to remember this, but every comedian we've had. Was that a though? Because that's your place. <laughs> <laughs> always have. Every comedian we've had in recently, I've used you as like the staple of one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Now you've given me three beers, you're like, <laughs> But this is it. We're going to put pressure on you by saying that like, you are the nicest human being because I used to do open mic and we done uh, Red Raw Edinburgh together and I was very nervous I think it was the first time I'd ever gigged at the stand in Edinburgh right. and you spent about 45 minutes talking to me about how shite hips were <laughs> <laughs> and it was dead nice it was dead calming so <laughs> but I, you're a, I will you're tell a you something fan. that happened to me last year right and I remember thinking oh that is an absolute touch of class 20, I think it was either 2012 or 2013, Jamie Douglas won Scottish Comedian of the Year and Alan Anderson had said, look, Jamie's going to do a solo show but I'd like you to support him, right? So he doesn't need to do a full hour, so he doesn't need to get reviewed and have all that pressure as his first full hour. Um, I'd like you to do like the opening 10, 15, then Jamie can do like 40, 45. And I was like, cool. So done that every night. And every night, next door was Big Value Comedy and Romesh Ranganathan. Uh-huh. 
was next door doing it right and I, I talked to Romesh and then I think he was up doing like a couple of red rows for the stand and I was his MC in a chat with him and we, we spoke about footy he was a big Arsenal fan stuff like that and we chat with him and he was just so sound and last year I get asked to do the Teenage Cancer Trust gig at the Royal Albert Hall and on that lineup, it was the most ridiculous lineup there was. Tommy Tiernan, Kerry Godleyman, Kevin Bridges was hosting, uh, Romesh, John Bishop, Sean Walsh, right? And I had to do these press shows. Is that's the Channel 4 one? Uh, no, no, they don't know that stand up to cancer. No, right. uh, the, tenants, uh, the Teenage Cancer Trust go, no, 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 we're not doing it on TV, so it just is what it is. So it's the Royal Albert Hall, it's 5,000 people, and I'm on this, so it's like, you know, it's like Real Madrid, Barcelona. Up pops Albion Rovers. <laughs> and, and they're all like, what is she doing here? And I just signed with the agent that these guys were with and they'd asked me to do it. And it was a great, it was a great opportunity. And I went away and I played the Royal Albert Hall, right? Which was a real thing. And because it's a Royal Albert Hall, do you know what I mean? It's like where Billy Conley, Victoria would have played. And I was stood in the wings and they'd the interval. And then during the interval, they show these videos of uh, these kids that had cancer and it showed you their journey. And then all these teenagers go out and they take a picture, a, a selfie of them out to the Royal Albert Hall with everybody lighting up their phones. <laughs> and I'm stood and then, this is after this man said to me, could you pass me the milk? And it was Roger Daltrey. And I was like, Jesus, because <laughs> he's a patron, right? So he was there. So then all these kids come out on the stage and it's like the Who is playing. And I'm stood in the wings and I'm about to go on and then Kevin... Bridges goes out and he does like 10 minutes and he was great and he gave me the nicest introduction on stage but while I was stood in those wings Romesh came over and he's like alright mate I'm like aye aye how you doing pal so like, do you remember the last time I seen you and I was like eh fringe he's like nah you're doing that charity gig at the King's Theatre the MND the Motor Neuron Disease mm-hmm. gig and I was like aye aye he went and I was running late so he was doing a solo at the garage and it was over running and I was told, Susie, instead of doing 8 or 10, can you do 15, 20, but we'll flash you when he's here and you wrap up? No bother. He's like, do you remember that? And you smashed it and they were on their feet before you. And I was thinking, oh, I need to follow her. Do you remember that? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he just kind of put his arm around me and Kevin introduced me onto the stage and went, have a good one, mate. And just pushed me out. And he totally Alex Fergusoned me because yep. he just took me away from my own head. Because you're stood with all these guys that you've watched on TV and you've seen them live and you look up to. And he just totally took me out my own head and reminded me of, like, basically said, this is bigger, but you've done this before. Yeah. So just go out and enjoy the fact that you're at the Royal Albert Hall. And I messaged him the next day and I just said, mate, you're totally Alex Ferguson me last night. <laughs> Thanks very much. And he was so sound. And I just remember thinking... That was so nice because you don't, not all comedians would do stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And he totally was like, I was there five years ago and I know what you're thinking. You just go out and have your gig and he's just the soundest guy, man. Yeah. Just so sound. And it sticks with you because I, like, that would have been probably about the same time, about 2012, 13. So Hibs, Hibs were shite, Shane. It was like Pat Fenlon, Colin Caldwell, Dira, wasn't he great? And uh, like, I have but, no idea what you're saying. I know, I don't expect <laughs> you to. I've got a real soft spot for the Hibbies, I, man, because obviously I'm a Celtic fan, so I do have that kind of 
oh, come on, the hippies. Do you know what I mean? I'm still rioting off them, Brown. You know, Aye, did well, you listen, <laughs> our first ever game was was with five hips players yeah. on our team because we, we had to ball because Celtic were nearly called Glasgow Hibernian. And then they went, no, I want Celtic in Scotland. Because now Scotland's been so welcoming. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's half your listenership just yeah. went, Fenian cow. <laughs> I think we've got a very strong representation of Celtic fans in this podcast. Aye, we because we're funny. Uh, I'm a Celtic fan of Danny's a Hibernian fans. Danny's, Danny's driving tonight, so we're going to get a takeaway for Nakoda, and then we're going to go oh, in the woods. I can't believe you're calling Nakoda. <laughs> I hate that you're right as well. He's just trying to say it every 10 fucking I'm seconds. Raging. Like, I'm raging, honestly. I, I take pleasure in Nakoda. Nakoda. <laughs> Nakoda. Uh, this oh, is like no. the biggest test of that me saying you're the nicest person in the world. Is James <laughs> constantly going to rub this in? James <laughs> obviously doing that and making me straight. <laughs> All the Tracy Chapman CDs I've collected, gone! Before we move off Deniston, which is kind of how the Nakoda stuff came up, Shane started a Deniston gang a couple of episodes ago. Oh, I was uh, with, hoping With Chris you... McQueer. Yeah. And What's I it think we, we threw, it's the Deniston Menaces. Got Short Cosgrove in there, Chris Thank McQueer's in there, Shane's in there, but he's still recruiting. You're from Deniston. Are you up for joining Deniston I'm, Menaces? I'm from Garrah Hill, right? I'm Don't from, know where that so is. So I'm from the East End, uh, quite a nice part of the East End, but I've lived in Deniston on and off probably since I was 20. Nice. Uh, 10 years was spent in the the, the Cardinal ship of Coatbridge because uh, that's where I went to school and then uh, came back to Deniston. And I, do you know what? I love it. absolutely love Deniston. And the reason I loved it, and it's the reason I've always loved it, is that Deniston was the only place that as a homosexual you to get dressed up to go to the supermarket in case you met a lesbian in the cat aisle. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that was in the 90s. And now it's been all gentrified. And it's literally, it's such, I love it. I love drinking in it. I love the boozers because they're proper boozers. But you can get cracking beer. I love the people. Everybody's just sound with regards to the pubs, the takeaways, the restaurants, the people. Absolutely love it. I would honestly, it would pain me to move. And where I stay is really quiet and it's really nice. But yep, I'm a hundred percent all in. I will radicalise people to join this group. But I swear to God, I love it. It's four members, and I said this the last time. So. Obviously, I've I've stayed in the periphery of Deniston. Nah, if that's your opinion, you're not in the gang. If that's your opinion, Sword Street, which is a ball hair away from Duke Street, right? Literally and a ball hair away. And then I live uh, I live in Cantine now, but I live literally just next to Duke Street, so um. I'm just off Cantine Road to start of it. We'll so I'm take you. Yeah. No, no, because... No, do you know you, why you need to take him, right? Because you need because to invite you need people as in. many Tims as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we need Tims, we need gays, man, because it's the only way the gene pool is going to get better. Everybody sounds... Like, how good are the boozers in Deniston? What's what? your boozer? Uh, so, I'm between two. I like the Pally. Nice. Uh, I do like the Pally, but... There's a wee bit of me that loves the crown. Yeah, I've been in the crown. I've been in the crown. So yeah. the the reason I love the crown is this. My old man would drink in the crown as a 17-year-old. My old man drank in the crown the day he went to see McNeil lift the big cup at Celtic Park, Jesus. right? Because my dad and his mates stayed, like my his mates stayed around there, so they would all meet in the crown and go down to the ground. And then my girlfriend... When I first met her, 
worked in the Crown one shift a week, so I used to go in all the time. And when I stayed in Denison, I would pop in for the old snifter on the way or on the way back for the game, but never really paid attention. And I love it because I I do genuinely love a boozer. See, like a cocktail bar or a fancy pub. It's not for me. No. I just love a boozer to be a boozer. And you talk about the gentrification of the area. There is a little bit of that now in Nepali. I wouldn't say it, do, it doesn't fit that mold. It's a little bit nicer. Then you go further down Redmond's, it's maybe a bit Aye. more hipster. I'm but not a the, Redmond's girl. The crown kind of retains its authenticity for Denniston. Aye, and it's still the same family that own it, and I know them, and, and they're, they're, they're sounding... Do you know what? Aye, I talk about this in my new show, right, but... Uh, I said, me and my dad, my dad wanted a pub crawl for Father's Day, right? Because he never gets to see me because my was a wee gigging. And we started in the crown. <laughs> and nice. if you're coming to see the Kings, uh, fast forward about five minutes. <laughs> 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 and that pub crawl, we went from the bar in the crown to the lounge in the crown. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's... Seat by we seat. <laughs> and then we went to Red Tiffin for a takeaway because he was like, or at Menards is miles away, right? So we went to we went to Red Tiffin and uh, bounced them up the road. And I, at one point I went to the toilet and there was a couple, there's like a, like a lesbian couple who've been together for nearly like 25, 26 years of drinking the crown. And I came out the toilet and them and my dad are putting songs in the jukebox and they're all hugging and singing <laughs> and I'm just like, I love this. This pub is just Glasgow in a nutshell. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's a great pub. And even... Like oh, it, it's got it's not a Celtic pub, but it's got the connotations of that's where Celtic fans would go before and after the game if they're going that way. Um, and you go in, and even if you were watching a Celtic game on the TV, it's eighty twenty. Like if there's Rangers fans in, there's still no hassle in it. It's like hey, and that's it. And that's the way football kind of should be for me. Do you know what I mean? Like you should be able to have a laugh and have a bit of banter, but you just can't do it now. And uh, I just, I just, it's got a great selection of beers. It, it's just a great boozer. That's do you know what I mean? How a pub crawl should be as well, because I'm. It's just something like they done a sub crawl last year. Not my thing. Didn't Listen. go. And pub crawls. Like, I just want to sit down and get pushed. It will it. be this year because he's just had a lower left leg amputation, so there's no way he's crawling <laughs> anywhere. Not old even dad, going to the lounge. Yeah. No, old Daddy Day Lewis, man, he's he's cupped it. He's absolutely cupped it. Have you? Um, I, and this is a controversial one. Have you heard of Leah Rig? The Lee Rig? Oh, is that what it's called? Ah, you sound the corner. I wouldn't it's trust our pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting I phone them. <laughs> what are you called? R.S.C. <laughs> L.R. Loyal. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'll, I used to, I actually used to live across from the Lee Rig. Uh, aye, so my mum and dad's first flat was on that corner. Yeah. And that's... Just that, above? That was, yeah, so they bought that flat and... 69 and they get married in 70 so obviously they couldn't couldn't live together because it wasn't a done thing and then um, that's where they done up they, they done up the flat and they bought that flat for two thousand pounds right Jesus. a two-bedroom flat massive and uh, my dad went home and my dad's dad died when he was quite young but his dad was still living at the point and he says to his dad bought a house for me and elna once we get married because my mom was from the garden guard and uh, he started to wait. Not flat. many people call it a garden guard nowadays, do they? Old school. Old Royston. School. Old school. Garden yeah. of guard. That's why it's called the garden guard. It's a garden of guard. Because nice. it was a big Irish settlement. Yeah. And uh, my dad's dad went to him, You've what? You've, you've bought a what? I've bought a flat, bought a house. 
why did you not just go to the council and get a house for the council for my dad? Because I wanted to own a house. Like, it's aspirational. And he went, how much is, is the mortgage? Much did it cost you? He went, £2,000. And my dad's dad went, you'll never pay that off. That's <laughs> <laughs> an albatross around your neck forever. <laughs> And you're like, can't even get a holiday for two grand. Man. That's a weekend at Centre Parks if you've got kids on it. That's, that's a flat in Sword Street the day I was. Saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, even Denison, Belgrove. <laughs> I'm not even saying anything. I've had, I've had my win today and I'm in the gang. What's the Leah Rig? Would you like about it? Oh, so me and um, my uh, mate Sam, real life Sam, we. We went there and we tr- we basically had a tenner and we kind of both have this kind of cute accent. It's cute on this side of the world. Back home, it's Jesus, boring. I know. He's, no, but he, like, he loves see, himself. See the 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 bar manager at the time. Her mum owned the pub, and we just figured out like we'd go, oh, what does that whiskey taste like? And she'd just pour us a whole glass and go, have a, have the, try this. And like literally, like we had a night out for like. For like 10 quid and I went back not long after and went by the way we drunk so much of your whiskey what do I owe you and she's like no no you guys were amazing oh, you were yeah. doing karaoke <laughs> you were getting young people in and we are like were we doing fucking like spruiking outside the Leah Rig this is like when me <laughs> went right so I don't really get to drink that often because I'm gigging but when I go on holiday with my girlfriend this is exactly what we're like right so this happened on countless holidays with us where in fact when I was doing my my birthday surprise and I was going to a different place every day we were in York and uh, my girlfriend had booked a really posh restaurant for the Saturday night and we'd went we'd went uh, out during the day and we'd went up the shambles and seen York Minster and all that and we went back to the hotel we thought oh we'll have a wee pint that was at five o'clock quarter to seven I put a picture on Facebook like uh, Nicholas said to cancel the restaurant because we are both smashed <laughs> right? and the two of us were absolutely smashed and then we got a pizza we got a takeaway pizza from behind the bar went upstairs and played the voice when we just sat at the end of the bed eating pizza and putting cushions over our face going nah they wouldn't make into my team nah, no <laughs> <laughs> like, hashtag romance then went down for breakfast the next day and everybody's like hey you guys and we're like no idea who you are man no idea <laughs> like it happened in holiday in Tenerife like we walked into a pub and all the staff are like Susie Nick yeah and we're like Oh, fuck. They're like, what about you smashing that song in the karaoke? I'm like, oh no, this is the Listen, worst, give me half an hour, a couple of shots, and I'll be back to that <laughs> person. Get the Uncle. cocktails, hen. Can I have one with five colours, please? <laughs> I love the drunk version of myself when it's that happy, but see the sober part, the version of myself, I'm like, don't even fucking talk to me. Aye, that, that's, like, that's like an alter ego right aye, now. Give aye. me time to be the miserable fucker, and then I'll be the happy guy again. <laughs> I love the, the drunk version of me when I wake up we are hangover and I go oh there's a curry I've not eaten yes, <laughs> yes. drunk Susie is wise I had, Susie is. I had an amazing moment when I first got to Scotland I, I must have just got shit faced and I used to walk past all those you know that, that corner that's got all the there's McDonald's there's KFC there's the four oh, corners yeah, the four yeah. corners the well, they're, they're off, umbrella. Yeah, where are four the grandparents kind of thing where they went and meet that's I, Boots Corner, that's what yeah. it was called, because it was Boots. So I'd, I'd come I'd come back and um, I woke up on the couch, and when I'm really pissed, I wake up on the couch going, what the fuck, why are the lights on? And there was a box of KFC with a drunk note written to myself, like, your head's going to be quite tender, enjoy some chicken, big guy, love Shane. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> drunk Shane is so much better than sober so, Shane. So much, yeah. <laughs> the, the, skin, the skin is never as good the next no, day. No. And then you wake up and you go, oh, I've 
get a chippy munchie box. <laughs> well, I was going to say. such a disappointment uh, to yeah, myself. Drunk and me is zero, so zero in my bank balance. <laughs> <laughs> drunk me is so self-loathing that I would get myself chips yeah. and cheese because that's the ultimate one that's just fucked the next day. There's have, no there's no resolving it. Have you ever had a smoked sausage supper with cheese? No. Right. Honestly, it'll change your life. I'm is just it, putting is it Is it just there. cheese over it? Aye. Get a smoked sausage supper, get cheese on it, so you get cheese over the sausage... Again, biting my face. <laughs> Cheese over the chips, and you just honestly see when that melts. Oh my god, it'll change your life. This episode should just be titled If You're Fat. Hungry, Don't Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Food porn. Yeah. Go to Greg's before you listen to this episode. We we could literally talk about uh, well, whatever's in our head for the next, you know, four hours if we wanted, but you're in front of us right now. And you have been the fastest selling comedian at the Glasgow Comedy Festival over the past three years. But it's an opportunity for anyone listening to kind of get to know you before you were a comedian. Yeah. You know, you want to tell us a wee bit about your upbringing and who you are, what brought you to comedy kind of thing. So, listen, I was brought up in Gary Hill, brought up in the East End, uh, went to school in Coatbridge and... That kind of gave me a grounding. Then at 17, I came out, and it was back in the day when coming out was really a big thing. So was, were you brought up when the education system wasn't allowed to yes, teach you yeah, about yeah, yeah. So homosexuality? I was, I was working in Delmonica's, which is a, a gay bar uh, around in... Merchant Ver, City. Merchant Street, around the, uh, Virginia Street. And uh, at the height of that um, Keep the Clause campaign, it was horrible. It was a really, really horrible time. So what was that for anyone that doesn't know? So basically, the Scottish government had put through a proposal to abolish Section 28. Section 28 was brought in by the Thatcher government. This is why I will never understand a gay Tory. Uh, Brought in by the Thatcher government to basically stop what they seen as the promotion of homosexuality within education. So if you were... 13, 14, like I was in the, in the 90s, and you knew you were gay, you couldn't physically go and talk to a teacher about that because that teacher could ultimately lose their job. I also had the the, <laughs> the other half of that, of that movement that I was Catholic, right? So you certainly couldn't go and talk to anyone about it. And the Keep the Clause campaign was Brian Souter, who was the owner of Stagecoach, who basically spearheaded a movement to make sure that that was still kept as part of the curriculum, that if your child was gay, they couldn't go to a teacher and talk about it and there'd be no promotion of homosexuality. So I don't have kids, but I reckon now in schools there is an element of, yep, men can love men, women can love women, and that's just how it is. And kids are, like, they're way more switched on now but then uh, he held a referendum which cost him over a million pounds because he was a wealthy man wasn't he <laughs> super wealthy and he still funds the Not SMP Aye, that's right, yeah, yeah he still funds the SMP and they still take that money but what I will say is that the SMP uh, do you know uh, right now and they're being kind of spearheaded are very positive towards the LGBT community there is there are some exceptions of that, of serving MPs and MSPs, but over the course, the party policy is, is positive. And it didn't it didn't really change until 97 when, when New Labour came in and 
Tony Blair really kind of pushed through the, the, the gay rights thing and all that. And it was 2006, the civil partnerships came in. What was that? 2015, where you could upgrade to gay marriage, right? Or as I call it, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think it was around then because I'd went to my auntie's wedding. And it's was, it was funny because it was legalised to get married, but her and her partner just decided to have a civil partnership. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good fuck you. Yeah, you know, yeah, Because totally. we can do what we want kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I was in a civil partnership. And uh, I was with my partner for 14 years. We had a civil partnership. We separated after 16 years, two years, just over two years as uh, civil partners. But it was a thing where, like in 2002, David Cameron likes to make out he's this big champion of the gay rights. 2002, David Cameron was standing in front of TV cameras going, well, you know, gay marriage will undermine the sanctity of marriage, you know, mm. and he's never really called himself out in that, whereas Barack Obama was like, listen, I wasn't for the gay marriage, and then my kids are coming in from school going, I'm going to such and such's house, they've got two mums, and then I meet the two mums, then I meet the two dads, and I go, what am I being uptight about? And he called himself out in it, which I fully respected him for uh -huh. that. Cameron never done that, and he was like, well, the Conservatives, because... Actually, in Cameron's autobiography, um, he talks about in 2015, that was the second biggest issue after the the knowing that he was going to have to put the European referendum in it. And Cameron was like, my party hated it. My party absolutely hated the gay marriage thing, but I felt that it was the right thing to do, which mm -hmm. it was. But you've not acknowledged the fact that your hand was pushed in 97 to go in this road for it to be the right thing to do like originally you were like oh no so I grew up in that time I grew up at a time when HIV and AIDS was seen as a gay disease and people thought if you were a gay man it meant you were a paedophile right which unfortunately in the past couple of years that, that narrative has been peddled again <laughs> and you're like how does you know most paedophiles I think statistically are heterosexual men and they're white Right, so that obviously doesn't fit the narrative of the right wing, but mm -hmm. that's how it is. So I grew up in that time, and I, I left uh, the family home when I was 17. I lived with my nana for two years, and then I moved in with my first girlfriend. So, sorry to bring it back. What was? How did you educate yourself then if you couldn't talk to you know the people that were respected, like your teachers and stuff? How are you going to educate, educate yourself on your own sexuality? You just had to... You, you didn't to... have the internet or anything then. I no. don't imagine you could walk in with your library card and go, "Give me every lesbian book yeah. you've got." I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for oranges are not the only fruit. <laughs> <laughs> any any tip in the velvet? Uh, no, no, you couldn't, and you just had to know you carried this horrible, this horrible secret and this horrible burden about with you because the hardest thing at that time, I knew when I was seven. Like, I knew, like, at a pretty young age that, that I was gay, but the the hardest thing at that time is, is telling the people that you love. Because as a kid, you constantly aspire to make these people proud and happy of you. And you know that you're going to cause upset and heartbreak. So you have to, you have to get it out. Like, I literally had, it was literally bursting out me and I just had to say it and get it done. And I knew what the reaction would be, and the reaction would be as predicted, that it wasn't going to be great. And I moved in with my gran, and I actually used to talk about this on stage, but her told my nana I was gay. And my nana was like, right, so what, what is it you've been put out of the house for? And I went, because I'm gay. 
And she's like, no, I know. You've said that. What is it you've been put out of the house for? And I was like, no, because I've been gay. I'm gay, Nana. And she just kind of went, does this being gay mean you can't put the kettle on, right? And, <laughs> and, and, like, up, that's yeah. just your proper, like, that's your Nana. And she's done loads of stuff and went and found out about AIDS charities and could I get AIDS because she didn't know about AIDS and she just wanted to know. And that's Educating herself. Absolutely did. Absolutely did. You know, a wee woman who was more Catholic than the Pope. And you just went out and you went into the big wide world and the beautiful thing about the gay community at that time, and I don't think it's like this anymore because there's probably an element where it doesn't have to be for the younger generation is you went into that community and it just kind of wrapped its arms around you because we're like, it's all right, we've all been there. Some people have been rejected, some people have been spat on, some people have had bricks through their window, just in you come, we're all together. Where was that gay community at the time? Where? Aye. Uh, like, like Dells, Polo... Bennett's, so you, you would know, just go to the gay, just, the gay bar, the kind of gay scenes? Aye, because it was a sanctuary, it was a safe, like, oh, I hate that word safe place nowadays, right? But then it genuinely was a safe place where you were protected, you were looked after, you had older brothers and sisters that weren't your family who just looked out for you and put their arm around you and made sure you were all right. And and some of those people I'm still friends with today, you know, and it, it was a really... It's a really special time as well. See, for all the hardship, it was a real sense of community. And somewhere along the line in the fight for equality, you've lost that sense of community to a degree. Like, we were probably the last generation, that late 90s, early noughties, who had to still fight. Mm-hmm. Even though I would argue now the fight is greater than what it's ever been. But we were probably that last group that really had to kind of hunker down and get on with it because we were politically we were trying to get change with the keep the clause and you're trying to get acceptance and you were also trying to find yourself and make your way in that world do you know what I mean because because it is and then all of a sudden within a generation a struggle that people have been fighting for 50 years was gone and then people start saying things and I was one of those people going oh I don't need to go to pride everything's fine now I'm like oh Hundred percent need to try and go to Pride because it's really important now because the right I've got I've got such a anti LGBT agenda and then I also see the the anti trans agenda within the LGBT community about like fifty year old women like um, Joanna Cherry and stuff like that and I'm like you can't have fought for rights and then deny people those same rights that you have fought for. It's That's morally incomprehensible. The weirdest thing with the sort of trans argument is, is people, it's not to say this like none of your business, but like, why would you care so much? Say like Graham Linehan, for example. Yeah. Fucking who, just step back, mate. Oh, like, what? stop fucking wading into shit if you don't really need to. Yeah, so the other day, so I don't get to go to the football that often now because of, of my job, right? And uh, the other day... I got to go to the Celtic Commander game and I was walking up to the stadium. Now, I've been going to that stadium since I was eight years old, right? Eight years old. And I'm walking up to the stadium and this woman's like, oh, there's a thing about women's rights and she gives it to me. And I'm walking and there's me, my girlfriend, and we've got a, our, my girlfriend's five-year-old uh, nephew. And I was walking down, opened it up and it was all about trans rights. And I just like spun in my heels and I ripped it up because, you know, then they can't give it to somebody else. And I'm like, you're, you're wrong. And she's like, no, no, this is about women's rights. And I was like, do you know what? 
you are stood outside the ground of a club that is inclusive to everyone. Like, and it has always been that way, regardless of what you think about football or whatever. It's always been that thing. And you are now standing outside saying it's inclusive to everyone except trans. Now, you've obviously not got permission to do this. You've just, like, because you're not in the ground, you're outside the ground. How dare you? I remember walking up to this football park and being handed the socialist worker. You know what I mean? Like communist newspapers and stuff like that because that was that movement in the early to mid-80s at the height of Thatcherism. Now I'm walking up and I've got women telling me that trans women are not women. What do you think motivates these people? Do you know what? Misery. Misery. Because if you can get up every morning and you're so anti-something that make, that, that's denying people rights. Like I get up every morning and I I am like anti-right wing, right? But I'm fine with that. But I you're think. also, I'd imagine you're very educated on why you're anti-right wing. There, yeah. there seems to be a large percentage of the people that get angry about any cause or movement or progression. Yeah. They're not educated on it. They're just feeding in a little bit and going, yeah, that rails me up. That looks like something I'm going to jump yeah, on. Yeah. What, do you, what do you care? Like, I've got mates who are trans who live their life as a man or live their life as a woman and they just live their life like how can you possibly find it in you to deny someone that basic right of living their life of who they feel comfortable and with why should it matter yeah, to like, you because you, you've got your own journey man just be accepting of people a hundred percent just chill out man like oh yeah men in changing rooms become a sexual threat to women I tell you what there is no man in this world who's going from male or going from female to male who's going to threaten you. Any man that's putting himself through that isn't doing that to get a flash of your boobs in because he's got a mobile phone and he can just type that into Google and he can see any type of boob that he wants. It's no use. Senga, face allins, chill out then. <laughs> like, like, I don't even want to see yours and I love boobs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Senga's one of those names where you hear growing up and then you're like, I don't know any cunt called Senga. <laughs> but, so yeah, I've done that and then... So you were, you were young, you were uh, discovering the scene then... Yeah, I worked, I worked in Dales. I worked in Dales. I went from glass collector, I was called a busser, uh, to assistant manager and then I left... And Dells is the one you go downstairs in, isn't it? Or is that? Nah, is no, it Dells? No, that's underground. underground. On, in John Street. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've been in with the boys. Uh, up We've the been in a few. Uh, very good. <laughs> Way often. Yeah. 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 Cheap drink and great music. Cheap drink, great music. You sneak, listen, you can't just listen. I see as much as I'm all for like boys. Come into the pub, enjoy the cheap drink, enjoy the great music. You need to fight the fight with us. That's my deal with all that. All day long. Cool. All day that's long. my no deal issues. with that. All day long. But that's the thing, like, yeah, so I worked in Dells, then I left Dells. I kind of flitted about for job to job, and I was with a girlfriend at the time, and uh, that was my, my subsequent civil partner. And, and was your relationship with the parents at any point rebuilt? It's improved at this point. It's not great, but it's improved. And it's just gradually got kind of better over the years, because I think as the world changed, they changed, and... You can't harbour a grudge like that. Mm-hmm. Cause see that poison inside you, that will eat you up. And my mum and dad are essentially good people. They have their flaws like we all do. My mum and dad, my mum was born in 1948. My dad was born in 1950. They were brought up Roman Catholic. You know, they were born when the NHS was just born and rationing still existed. 
they were both brought up Catholic. My dad actually quite an interesting upbringing in that his mum would make him go to mass because he's because they were brought up Catholic because of his dad, and then would take him to Bridgeton to see the Orange Walk because she was from Bridgeton. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a parade, honestly. Aye, like, aye, do you know he's what I mean? all right when he dies. He's he's on one he's, side. He's aye. either way. He's getting in. He's getting in somewhere. And uh, you know, like they were brought up Catholic, and you've just got to. For me, I think. You've just got to accept that they were a different time and, you know, they've said sorry and they need to live with that for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think you just kind of need to move on and go, well, the world's a different place now. It's a very different world to which you grew up in. And you could you could cite the argument of, well, your nana was fine and they weren't. Your nana was a generation before them. My nana had been living at that point for 77 years. She lived through World War Two, and she lost family. My nana's idea of life will be like my parents when they're 77. It's very different from it's what different it is at 57. perspective, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't... I just refuse to kind of hold it against my mum and dad. They do my absolute boxing, but they're good people. And I, I would I, I would hate to think that I carry that with me. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of said in my grand eulogy, um, my, my nana was absolutely beloved to me and... I said my nana's eulogy, like, my nana had quite a tragic life, and I spoke about that in the eulogy, and I said, but it never got it, it never got her down, and and she wouldn't be, she was never bitter or angry, she was only sad, and I remember thinking at the exact moment I said that, as I was coming to the end of the eulogy, you can't, you can't be bitter. Like, if that is the one thing that that precious little woman has taught you, you can't be bitter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that, if that's my life lesson... Of 36 years of having that woman in my life, that and making a good pot of homemade soup. <laughs> <laughs> Granny <laughs> soup's amazing. Ah, listen, I'm all over it. Can't be replicated. Ah, no. Nah, but it's... it's that. And I thought, well, no, that's it. So I, I then moved away and I got married and I became an electrician and everything was great and became an estimator and worked in engineering and done that. And then I was sat one night with my mate. And a mutual friend of ours had came back from travelling because she'd been diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. Fucking hell. And we had both been to see her. And me and my, my mate Paul were sat steaming three in the morning, full of curry and beer. And Paul was like, oh man, you don't know how lucky you are. And I was 30 at the time. And I went, no, I know. He went, you know, we should do something that scares you. And I was like, Paul, I can't jump out a plane. He went, no. You can do this course in stand-up comedy. And at the end of the year, I gig. Something interesting to see at your funeral, isn't it? And I was like, oh, fine, sign me up. So he went, right. So the next morning, I can do this stare pose like that. Do you remember what you agreed to last night? And I was like, I told you, sign me up. Because you can't lose face at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a dare. Yeah. He went, right. I said, I'll put the money in your bank. You write the cheque. He went, right. And my partner at the time went, what's this? And we explained it to her and she went, do you think you'll make people laugh? (laughs) So had you been making anybody laugh beforehand with stories or that? I just like my daft life, like in general, at a party in a kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Or at school or... Like my brother talks about this. My brother talks about how he used to... There's eight years between us and he used to come home from school and he'd come in the back and he was like, you know, 10, 11. And he goes, there would you be entertaining mum and nana doing a wee dance routine or that like and I'd never when we went to the course actually they they were going round the room there's people going yeah yeah I've done um, 
don't know, I'm really so dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I do this and I sing here and I really enjoy this and I love comedy. And, and he came round, he, he, Paul, and Paul was like, I've wanted to do this course for five years. And I'm looking at him like, are you having a fucking laugh? <laughs> <laughs> this is my bed. You've been fucking planning this, man. This is the only way you could get me here. No fucking way, right? And then they came to me and they were like, Susie, what have you done? And I was like, eh. They're like, did you maybe do a school show? I was like, no, I'm <laughs> smoking hash. Like, fucking kids that done school shows get a doing, do you know what I mean? Right. They were like, all oh, right, eh. What about a nativity? I'm like, nah. They're like, and I said, I don't think I've ever spoken to a microphone. And you could see Viv, the, the class teacher's face, just like, right, okay. And then we done this course for six weeks. We'd done a gig in the seventh week and then we got feedback on uh, week eight. And I'd done the course and it just went really well and, and I worked really hard at it because I discovered I really loved this. And it just it just took off from there. So a lot of people, we've had a few comedians in recently and probably one of the questions we've not asked is what is in this course because you're talking, right. you worked really yeah. hard at it. What's Darren said he'd done it as well, didn't he? Yeah, so yeah. Darren done a different course from me. He'd done a different person, like a different teacher. So, yeah, so for me, it was like, they say to you at the front, at the, at the start of it, look, we can't make you funny. You have to be funny. Uh-huh. But we can tell you how to write and how and how to craft a joke, right? That's something that I was doing when I was eight, how to craft a joke, because... That's what you do when you're at school with your mate. Wait to tell you this joke, wait to tell you that joke. Do you know what I mean? So, and I'd done the course and I, I was clearly like naturally funny by just being funny enough. Kind of get a funny face. Like I've got quite <laughs> an expressional face. You know, I've got big eyes and it's a wee fat face and I can pull faces and whatever. And you've just kind of got funny bones, I suppose. And I didn't really believe I had funny bones until I started doing comedy. Do you, does that make sense? Yes, yes. Well, you'd never, unless you've been exposed to it, you're never going to know. No, no, that's it. I, and I would always be the person in the, in the you know, at the party in the kitchen, just having a riot and just being the one that just makes people laugh. You know what I mean? Like, you know, on the bus to school, not being nasty, not being horrible. Even teachers at school, I was never really, I was in bother for just, being a wee idiot but I was never in bother bother do you know what I mean I was never a bad kid I would never bully people I would just be like aye 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 but what about this <laughs> and the teacher would be like oh man that is funny but I can't even laugh at you you know and I think aye there's something in that there's it's something the, in it the rawness is what is part of the excitement alright I, I was too lazy to kind of follow it and pursue comedy it's fucking too much graft oh it's a it's lot of fucking, graft, man. it's a slog I'm trying again but we'll get to it one day and eh uh, but I found, I only done the open mic stuff, but you're talking about like the amateur actors and stuff like that. It blew my mind that you could be, I don't know, at the stand or a pub gig or something. And you could almost tell who the funny ones were going to be just from nerves. So if somebody is shiting themselves and look like they don't want to be there, they're probably going to be quite funny. <laughs> but see the ones, and this is a horrible generalisation. There's lots of good actors out there who are funny, but the ones that are the kind of amateur dramatics, they go on stage, die, and don't give a fuck. No. And they just go home and go, eh, that, that's cool, done. Uh, it's weird. It's weird, whereas, like, it, it's probably that, there's probably a bit of mental health in it as well, but, it, I mean, for me, there is that cathartic unburdening of storytelling, because I, I do, like, I don't do puns or that as stories, but there is that thing of, 
the the analyzing of a gig and why it like there's a famous cartoon and it's like an auditorium full of people and there's one person like that everyone else is laughing and it's that one person whose face is straight and not laughing you as the comedian on stage who can see that's like uh, i'm yeah. going to make you laugh why you're not laughing like there could be a thousand other people laughing but you're like why are you not laughing and that's that's a thing but or why did that joke not work in the analyzing that you do and how much it's you beat yourself up the modern day social media is like that isn't it someone could praise you like 99 people out of 100 praise you on twitter off the back of something one person says something negative that's what sticks in your head yeah 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 i had a guy on uh, facebook the other day on my comedy page i was tagged in a, a video kind of put up by my agent publicizing the kings and this guy was like what's that guy saying and I was like, and then I went and I looked at his profile and I was like, oh, jeez, look at the nick of you. I'm not going to get upset with you, you 55-year-old white straight man. And then there was a guy underneath it. And I know him. And I know him from where he stays and what school he went to. And I know he knows the same people as me. And I was absolutely fuming. Because I was like, do you know what? I'm one of you and you're one of me. But yet you're just like, Ha! Oh, famous comedian. Ha! Oh, fastest selling act. And I'm like, you've never even seen me. Like, judge me. Like, if you're sat in a room in a comedy club and you go, she is shite. Fair dues. You have paid your money and you're entitled to that opinion. And if you don't like what I do, I can't change that. Because what I do is what I do. Mm-hmm. But they just attack me on social media because you're a 35 year old man with a coke and a steroid habit. Fuck off. Aye, well, that's exactly it. You know, these but people it, just want cheap pops and fucking social media because that gives them relevance, whereas you're actually out there talking to real people. And trying to create something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Try to create something. And do you know one of my proudest moments, right? And like, I've been really lucky to support really nice comedians and play amazing rooms and everything like that. I came off stage at the stand probably about nine months ago and this guy came up to me and he was like, Susie and I'd done a whole bit about losing my nana and my nana dying and everything. This guy came up to me and he was like, listen, I didn't want to come here tonight. My missus won tickets and we had a pure fight for me coming here tonight. And I didn't want to come because I've just lost my dad. I buried him yesterday. It was really tough. And I had a whole bit about the last rites and my nana dying and and just that whole like Catholic situation of your mum going, that's the priest staying for tea. And I'm like, I've just lost my fucking nana. Get the priest out of the house. And then my mum pulling out the good biscuits and because the biscuits are kept for the priest and all that. Because <laughs> right? that's, do you know what I mean? That's, uh, that's, I know exactly you exactly mean. Exactly right. And even if you're not Catholic, you totally get, because it's just your mother exactly. being your mother. And she goes into automatic mother mode and you're just like, you have just lost your mum. But your coping mechanism is to get a hoover out and put on a kettle and entertain a priest. Whereas my coping me- my coping mechanism is to go to the pub, smoke hunters of fags, and be angry. And that was the whole thing about the joke. And this guy was like, bury my dad and I'm really struggling. He went, but see that whole bit you done there about the burial and the last rites and all that and your nana. And he was like, and it was said with such love. He was like, I was howling because I've just lived through all that for the past 10 days. And it's pure perked me up. And see that, see knowing that somebody could hear you on a stage and relate to everything that you're saying 
but it made them feel better about a terrible situation. That's amazing. Yeah. That is an amazing thing for anybody. It's powerful. Aye. Like, really powerful. I'm not great at Thunberg, do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to change the world. <laughs> no stopping people going not and yet, playing. anyway. Well, <laughs> no, yeah. Matter of time. This time next year. But it's that thing that you're going, if one person in that room enjoyed that and that's the effect that it had in his head for the next day or two, I'll take that. If he's walking down the street in two days' time and he's a wee chuckle to himself because he remembers something and he kind of doesn't feel the hurt and the pain as much, that's all right. Helps get him through. Aye. How, like, see for anyone that's not a Catholic that's your friend, see trying to describe a Catholic funeral oh, to them. Man. Mental. It's amazing. Like, I've, I've been there about five he? or six and... There's always people just on the other side of the church that have nothing to do with a funeral, Aye. taking their mass in the morning. I mean, I mean, what are you doing here? So my nana's funeral, we walked in, and uh, my brother was there, and we walked in, and my old primary one and two teacher was there, like praying, and then just randomly, just because oh, <laughs> mass was on. So like, see, nana's funeral was ten, so it was like nine o'clock. Mass was on. And then she was coming out and she seen me and she, and I've not changed and she came home and she was speaking to me. And I pointed out my brother and she was old because she taught Mark as well and we were eight years apart. And she went back and she gave the EQ, she became a, she said to the priest, can I be an ecumenical minister? Because she was obviously qualified to do it in this funeral. And she gave out communion because she was like, I'm really sorry to hear about your gran. I remember her. From picking you up from school because she was such a nice woman. That's that's a beautiful and moment. And I was like, that's a really, really beautiful thing. And then this was an absolute cracker. My uh, grand's brother-in-law passed away, and um, my mom was an only child, but she had two cousins, and uh, one was one's a real Catholic enthusiast, and uh, one um, married a. Muslim guy like in the, the mid to late 80s and he was a lecturer at uni over here and she was a teacher and they married and they had like six kids and the the other cousin the guy he had two kids but one of his kids went on to have like eight kids right and we were going to my kind of great uncle's funeral and he was really old and that they, they were the only two sides of the family that were going so we had the kind of Muslim side of the family the real enthusiastic Catholic side of the family. And then there was me, my brother, and my ex-wife, right? She was still my wife at the time. And we're walking in. My ex-wife is a Protestant, I'm a Catholic, and Mark is in the Air Force. And Mark just turned around and went, this is at the height of, like, the Iraq War. And we went, how do you think, uh, how do you think the funeral is going to go? And I was like, what with the Brit, the Protestant and the lesbian? <laughs> I, I can't see what any issues anybody will have with this, mate. Like, between you bombing both sides of this argument, between the Protestant being in the chapel and the lesbian no taking communion, ah. It's a really awkward moment when they went, they asked you to take communion and put your hand to your right shoulder. No, uh, I just I'd probably go, just sit in the bench. Uh, totally, totally. <laughs> a blessing, I'm man. I'm not embarrassing myself in front of the priest. He's judging you that whole time. Exactly. He's like, what, why are you not taking you know the sacrament? That's a hundred percent. And you're like, I'm not taking the sacrament because I drink for the furry cup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So Delmonicas, mm. and you are you still at Delmonicas when you're doing the course? 
No, oh, no, you're no, a lucky no. by this, this point. Was, this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was an estimator at this point. I was an estimator. I was working as an electrical estimator. And, and you're still I, doing this when you're doing the comedy? Just, just, yeah, just up till um, October 2018, I went full-time. So Can I, I was ask about years? the electrical estimator stuff? I was going to ask what it was, but you told us just before mm. we came in, so that's fine. But how did you find it in that, that environment of, because I was telling James a story just before you arrived tonight, and I work, I, I work two days a week in an office that's sort of loosely related to that, and there's a guy started and nobody work knows I do this podcast for I tell this story by the way and he's very laddish he's like a, a sort of hmm. Yorkie adverts fucked a McCoy's advert Hi. is this guy so in that environment he to, was it yesterday was talking to me oh you'll need to email this woman and he's like oh put on the charm get her fucking sodden and all that stuff like just horrible fucking that kind of chat and I'm very 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 uncomfortable with this kind of chat I'm just not capable of it and I turned around to this guy and I was like right what do you do? Do you play along? There's no point. Like, I'm not going to, don't create conflict because it's just, huh. the, the, the guy is what he is. So I turned around to the guy and kind of went, I have a really small dick. That's fucking awkward, isn't it? And the guy, Gene, are you all right, man? Yeah. I don't know how. Uh, it's I, I mean, I've seen it. It's, it's tiny, but. Tiny. Well, we talk about it a lot in this. And, uh, but I turned around and I was like, I think I was trying to like, lad along but that <laughs> became like a woke this, lad this was like this was my attempt at laddishness was to go because he's like oh put the charm on so I went I have like a really small dick I says and then it was this pause and it was like one of these pauses it was like two seconds and it felt like two years and mm. I was like so if I like send a picture of my really small penis she'll feel sorry for me and then think I'm cool and the guy was just like I'm just gonna go speak to you anymore <laughs> so that that industry, did you find it sort of just fucking boring nah, and tiresome or was it all right? It was fine. It Teach was fine. me how to work in it. See, I think because I've always loved my footy and all that, it was fine and, and I could not emasculate myself, but I could talk to the guys. Do you know what I mean? I could, I could talk to them and I'd be like, look, what, the, what are you fucking doing there? Or I'd be like, oh, what about the game and blah, blah, blah. Because that, that's what my interests were. So I never I never really found myself on the receiving end of anything with the guys because the guys were just like Susie Sound man, she's like she's just one of the boys. She just she comes in. Actually I found them more gentlemanly and not in a patronizing like I'm a feminist, I find it very patronizing that you want to lift that drum of cable, right? Not that. But they'd be like, look, mate, we're going to pull in the armour, you run it off the drum, because we're all stronger than you, because physiologically, guys are stronger than girls, right? And that's just a thing. But I wouldn't get that upset about that. I'd be like, I cool, no bother. But they weren't sexist or anything like that. I actually have a joke about this when I say... In all those years working in the building site from apprentice to engineer, never once did I get any sexism or any homophobia. Every day I get called a fat fenian fucker, right? Because that's, <laughs> cause that's Glasgow in a nutshell, right? Because you need to get slagged for something. So as much as what I'd get called that, you'd get called balding, you'd get called ginger, and you'd get called that. It, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a personal thing. It's just everybody Well, change was a personal thing now. Yeah, there wasn't a personal thing as Shane you know, cries into his sherry. Rolls two in one because he's beard ginger as well. So. Hi. It's, but it's, it's, it's that thing where you just kind of go, they just kind of take you in. And I also think, there's kind of a Scottish thing there of, 
we are all Jock Tamsin's bairns. Do you know what I mean? The lad chat, I think, between lads is probably worse than lad chat with a girl present. Do you know what I mean? So I think when it's guy on guy, it's it's more difficult when you're at either end of that spectrum of being reasonable. Like, he's probably not that guy. He's probably four or Aye, five in from front, that guy. Yeah. And it's all just a front. You'd be like, all right, mate, I've got, like, a cock. What about my cock? And you're like, chill out. And I think once they kind of get over that, but invariably speaking, and I think also my whole life I have been I've been a tomboy. I've had more guy mates than girl mates and like I've got more gay men mates than lesbian mates. Like it's just always been that way with me. And maybe I'm just more comfortable in that environment and I would just go on with the guys better. Do you know what I mean? It was just easier for me because in a way it's kind of easier to work on the building site with 400 guys than an office with 40 women. Just because your mind would wander all day? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> My mind would wander back to the Bobby. Nah, just like, no good chance. Oh, Sandra, no. Sandra, I can't hear about Love Island one more time, Sandra. Oh, my God. didn't know God. you so many diets existed. Oh, it's just, you know, and it's just that kind of tediousness. And I understand that there's a lot of women who are very happy with that life and I'm not going to judge them for that because that would be wrong but it's not for me do you yeah, know what I mean it's a lovely way to say it I think with the trade things because I did my apprenticeship and then once I got it I left um, but I the dudes I worked with and there were ladies as well they were like the soundest cunts in the yeah. world because the whole thing is in an environment like Sound cunts are still sound cunts, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And if someone's bang out of order or someone's going, you know, like, lads, 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 and the rest of the room's like, mate, what are you doing? Like, it sorts itself out. It's yeah. just a more, oh, I guess you'd say, casual version of, like, you know, it's... Like being in a pub. Yeah. Because it, men, this is a key thing with a ma- with the male psyche, men self-police. Yeah. Like, if you're all out as a bunch of guys, right, for 12 years out and there's one of you's been a prick in a comedy club... I guarantee at least two of you will be like that, mate. Up the road. Up the road. Fucking up the road, mate. You're steaming. Just go up the road. Forget about it. Go and get a kebab. Get a taxi. Up the road. I'll phone you the more. I'll make sure yeah. you're all right. You say to a woman, you're out of order. You're for too much to drink. This is what happens. That's my pal. Who <laughs> the fuck do you? And you're like, oh, gee. And suddenly, like, guys will be like, mate, you're like, you will genuinely self-police. And I've kind of got a theory in this that guys traditionally will go to the pub, right? couple of pints up the road, get your dinner, whatever. You'll maybe go and watch some sport. You might be a pint or two, you got to the pub. Once a woman gets to a certain agencies and a certain predicament of children and kids like that, they will drink in the house. They will drink at their friend's house. They don't really go out unless it's a concert or whatever. So see, when they go out, they're out, out. And it is fucking... Carnage mm. Guys on the other hand Out out isn't a thing So we, we drip it more Yeah We don't hold it in Until we're ready to bust So that's why you go to a teat that concert There's women sleeping in the ground well, You go to an Oasis concert Guys are just mad with it uh, yeah, I used to live Next to Mount Florida Station oh, and So you've obviously <laughs> got like Fucking Football matches Just hanging off your window Half a dozen times a year But see they take that Concerts when they the ran worst. For four nights It was There was some entertainment Going on oh, out those windows Honestly just like You know Pink cowboy hats And a stream of pish Do you know what I mean You're just like Oh hen Where is your dignity But is that about The pink cowboy hats By the way <laughs> Where does that become Anything ah, And like Having a good time I, I 
you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, are you in the, in the clan? Like, how not? easily swayed <laughs> are fucking like women going to take that gig that they're like, we need this. We nothing to do with a band. No, no. <laughs> I, and it, it's that thing where I think men, it's like you were saying, like the whole sound crunch thing. Like guys will be like, that's what you want. Like the other right. week at a comedy club in Glasgow, um, I was on stage and there was a really drunk woman heckling and she wasn't bad she was just interrupting which kind of defeats the purpose of going to comedy right and everybody else was getting really ratty with her and I kept going back and kept kind of bouncing her away and bouncing her away and bouncing her away and this guy shouted and everyone's like, like already shouting to her shut up up with old you shut up man stop ruining it and this guy, guy shouted oh, we'll just take her outside and punch her Right, and I like turned in my heels, and the whole room just went, "What?" Like, you could hear this collective wit, and I was like, "Mate, she's drunk, she's steaming, she's been a wee pest." But if you think that you can condone domestic violence between a man hitting a woman, and he went, "I'm really sorry," because he he obviously was like sobered up quickly. So, yeah. Right, but the whole room, the whole room just turned on him. Like the whole room was like, "Never mind her, she's fine." You, we're a wee bit worried about where you're going home to the night. Do you know what I mean? Like, if somebody getting a black eye because she's heckled a couple of times. Like he thought that. Like, you imagine like, the thought process. Exactly. Before, he thought he was saying the funniest thing in the club yeah. and then just had the curtains fall exactly. right on him. Exactly. Like, where do you even, like, think about that? Do you know what I mean? It's that moment. And I, I've had a, I haven't seen anything like that. But there's, you've had, you have those moments where you're like, ah, uh, you're getting in and everyone's, like, jeeing each other up and you say something stupid and the whole room just Tumbleweeds. stops and you go, Sorry, it's guys. That, it's it. that ape like mentality that oh, domestic abuse is funny, isn't it? And it's like it's I'm fucking not, not mate. It's, it's not me. Really not. Because you know, I've I've never came across a man's refuge. Know about plenty of women's. Do you know what I mean? And it's that thing. It's funny when you're on a night out because my partner doesn't really drink, so I quite often I do with a podcast called Drunk Therapy. We always she's on it, mate. Go. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> you should. You should listen to it. Uh, no, but like I'll come home and no matter what's happened, I'll come with peace. I don't even know if I've done anything wrong, but my, I walk into that door and go. Like I'm a yeah. mouse I've got gathering uh, Offerings of whatever I found at the chippy That I thought she might like On a Tuesday night At yeah. midnight And I'm kind of like And she's like If she says anything oh, Sorry Didn't mean to There's some chips Like I'm My brain just goes I really need to respect her Because I'm coming in drunk And I'm, and after the good night, and she's got work in the morning because that's just being respectful. Yeah As a human being Not yeah. even as a loving Caring boyfriend Just yeah. Oh I don't I, I know I'm a wee pest, but there you go. There's I a, do that. There's a hoagie. <laughs> Stop by it in the coda on the way home. Can I interest you in a hoagie and a cuddle? <laughs> that's, like the, that's like the best thing like, I think be you fair. can offer. Right? And a drunk mind just goes, oh, it's, mate, if you get her a hoagie and a bloody hot chocolate. By the way, by this time, anyone that's stuck around listening <laughs> would, have went, would have went, right, I'm not hungry again. And we just brought it back. I've, I've got something that's going to put people off the food because because before we came in, you were like becoming an ambassador for colonic irrigation. Do you, are you happy to talk about that on the podcast? Totally. So <laughs> how did this come about? Just quickly, like... like so basically one day I was in a lot of pain and I went to the hospital and they went, you have a compacted bowel, which means that nothing can get through your bowel because everything is compacted. Are you going through stress? And I was like, I'm going through loads of stress. And they were like, right. And I didn't realise how stressed I was. And they uh, went into the hospital. 
this big handsome Irish doctor came round and he was like, right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you drugs, I'm going to take you home. Uh, you need to try and poop with your feet off the floor. That's the whole reason this conversation came about because Danny's just bought me a squatty potty, yeah, which I, I wanted for years. He went, make sure your feet's off the floor and you sit in the toilet for like 15, 20 minutes and it will gradually pass. Unfortunately, the tablets I'm going to give you are uh, going to have chalky deposits. If you can privately afford to go for a holistic enema, basically, Which could you go and do it? Colonic irrigation. Colonic irrigation. Holistic enema sounds so much nicer. And go for that and that'll help. Once this is passed, go for that and that'll that'll do the job. And it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life. Do they use coffee, did you say? A coffee enema. So basically they put a uh, lukewarm water and a wee hose up your body and uh, then some some kind of Coffee, not like fucking nice cafe. <laughs> That's Instant. not Greg's idea. Aye, aye, That's just, not holistic. I we Starbucks number. Next <laughs> might be holistic because it's fair trade, and uh, and they just uh, fire it, fire it round your lower intestine, and then it automatically comes out a little bit by bit. Is, is it like a vacuum cleaner kind of thing? Pretty much, pretty much, but much more pleasant. <laughs> it's not like the right. thickness of a the vacuum only, And I've wanted this for ages, right? It's I don't think it's disgusting. I think it's a cool thing that you can get your body cleansed in that way. The only thing I could compare it to even slightly is when you get your ears syringed, which is when you get the water in it and it yeah, just brings brilliant. everything so out. I have never had this, but oh, the other best. week I went to the hearing clinic, right? Because I was Because you can the vacuum in there, don't Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Like, there's something up in my ears. My ears are quite sore. I've been flying a lot. I don't know if it's that. And, I, and they would, like, put the wee camera in and it came up on the screen. They were like, nah, man, your ears are spotless and your eardrum's great and I was like that's disappointing are you kidding and she was like no and I was like not even a hoover <laughs> she was like nah 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 but apparently I remember a mate saying to me there is no more satisfying feeling in the world than when a uh, your ear gets syringed yeah, and you see that, that wee syringe so it's like you, you think there's going to be a syringe don't you yeah it's uh, water. They just—it's kind of like the arse thing. They flush. <laughs> the, sorry, the holistic enema. That's cute. They—they <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they just flush water. But you need to loosen your the wax in it with oil for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's just, bullshit. That's the no. Way it they, does. It makes a difference. It does. They it, tell you to do that, and then you're like, mate, that's not worked. Can I, you I, sort I, this out? I do that. It sometimes clears it before you go. It's good. Do the so do the you oil know thing. Stop doing this in the NHS. They don't syringe your ear anymore. No? They don't do the doctors. Yeah, you yeah. need to go somewhere and pay. I like the hearing clinic I, where I went I'm, to. I'm it's, no interested. It's in. worth it because I swear, like you could, you walk out and you feel like you can hear like bees calling you a cunt. Feel like a amazing. Like, That's how good your hearing is. Like, amazing. So good. See, because you only get one ear, you can jump in a second. Because you only get one ear, your equilibrium is completely off. You just feel like you're so. What do you mean? Only get one ear. <laughs> One ear? Cyclops Airmen well, over there. This is these Belgrove doctors. Did you get Lower Deniston? Lower Deniston. Yeah, you should move to Deniston. You get two ears. I hear they do it in the corner. No, I only got one ear because one ear was blocked. So they only had an issue with one ear. I always get both. Right, so when I got it with one, I was just like walking sidewards, you know, like 
It was just crashing into things. Yeah. The other day, I got um, so my sinuses are like quite badly blocked, and I got an ear spray because my ears been really sore. So I sprayed in there, and then I got this uh, like sinus unblocker, and I've been using that. And then I sat in the bath last night with Olbus oil, like I was buzzing it, like I was buzzing a bottle of poppers. Right, it's like <laughs> somebody get the dawn of summer on. Right, like <laughs> <laughs> I feel right, but and honestly, God, see today I was like. I can smell grass cutting. Do you know what I mean? It was just, yep. it was so good. It's an amazing feeling when your body works. Aye. <laughs> it's been a long time, to I, be fair. I, I stopped paying attention for a wee bit in there, Danny. How did, did you say enemas is what helping you? Like, I genuinely got, like, we were talking about enemas, and then I poured another drink, and then it was like, and I could hear bumblebees calling me a cunt or something. Uh, like, how yeah. did we get from... That's how far up the tube goes. Oh, it squats out, <laughs> out both ears at the same Amazing. time. Like a uh, cartoon at turns Boys, honestly, treat yourselves to an enema. You will love it. Uh, it's on my bucket list. Maybe my 40th birthday. Six years, I'll get it. This is, uh, this is to put it metaphorically, the biggest M8 diversion ever. From what we've talked about, I kind of want to get back to it was 30 when you started comedy. Yeah, it? 10 years since. Um, tell us a wee bit about that journey because you have, as I mentioned at the start, sold out you know the quickest in the Glasgow Comedy Festival over the past three years. Mm. And you mentioned you only gave up the job two years ago. Yeah, so what was that journey kind of like? So it was pretty busy. So at first, you start and you gig in every minors welfare and bowling club and golf club and everything that's going and I couldn't get into the stand um, What was your comedy styling at that point? What were you talking about? It's like family and stuff, probably actually not really much different it's just my life, like I've always spoke about my life and stuff that's happened in my life and uh, I was gigging and so I'd been going about 18 months and I was in a car with Jeannie Godley and Jeannie had seen me do a gig at, I think it was what is now the Hugging Pint, can't remember what it was then, but Jeannie stayed pretty close and she was she'd see me she goes oh you were brilliant you were great and you know, I was in a car journey with her and she went how are you getting on at the stand I went oh okay get in but Jeannie sat in my car and sent an email to Tommy Shepherd and uh, Eva Mackay who run the stand and went look you need to book her get in for a red draw I don't recommend anybody I'm recommending her do it so when I get my five minutes at red draw I had already been like a P20 18 months in for like local guys that would say this guy's asked me to do a bowling club gig can you come and open it Gary Little's going to close it Des McLean's going to close it blah 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 and I was like right and I'd go out and I'd do those gigs and see if you can win over straight old white men as a Roman Catholic lesbian <laughs> when you go into the stand you're going to be alright you know and I pitched up 18 months and I done my first gig at the stand and I smashed it. Like, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, I just genuinely did because by that point I've worked out what I'm doing and how to do it. And they gave me a raft of gigs the next day and then that started. And then um, November 2012, so, that, so my first gig was the 18th of January 2011, it was three days before my 31st birthday. And that that was the first gig, and it just kind of spiraled 18 months and get the stand. Uh, so, 2012, November 2012, Alan Anderson, who is a co owner of Rotunda, phones me and he says, Listen, do I do a solo show? And I went, No, I've not got the material. 
He went, I'll make you right. Do a solo show. I'll be your promoter. I went, okay. So we done a show in Dram. Uh, and ironically, it was the 28th of March. It's 7.30. Which <laughs> um, will be my stage call time. And the same date when I walk onto the Kings this year. Because my show starts at 7.30. And I didn't know it until the other day until I seen a, a Facebook memory. And Alan went, oh, may you do it. We'll fit about 16 in the room. And Alan was going to Australia because he does the Australia seasons. And I wrote a show. It was called An Uncivil Partnership. And it was about marriage and getting married. And all the shit you need to go through and you're getting married. And it sold out. And Alan went, I can't get another date. I'll put you on the same night. So we'll do a half seven to half eight. Half hour turn around nine to ten. I went, right. Sold it out. Couldn't believe it. Was at the stand. I get a phone call one day, maybe about two months later, saying, do you want to come and support Dylan Moran tonight at the stand? Huge, and I was like, huge. Man, Dylan Moran, hi. Like, come through, you'll get paid, blah, blah, blah. Come do the gig. So it was me, Joe Heenan, Dylan Moran. I can't actually remember who else was on, but Tommy Shepard came backstage. He's having a glass of wine with Dylan Moran. He was like that. Susie, come here. I was like, right, Tommy's like, do you not do the comedy festival with me for? And I was like, because you're in the stand. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'll give you the stand next year. I'll give you the stand. I promise you, you'll get the stand. So I got a Wednesday night at the stand. The following year, 2014. No, 20, no 2012, I phone me. The show was 2013. 2014, done the stand. Sold it out Wednesday night. Next year, they gave me a Thursday night. Sold it out. The following year, they gave me a Saturday night. Sold it out. Gave me a Friday as an add-on. Sold it out. And that continued right up to last year. Last year, two shows sold out within 24 hours. So it's unbelievable. And the comedy festival said to me, do you do you want to do The Kings? Now, on this kind of comedy journey while I was doing these solo shows, I was I was gradually gigging every weekend. Like, Alan Anderson gave me my first ever headline spot and just gigging as much as I could and where I could. I didn't go down south a lot because I was working. So generally, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, I would, be gigging um, sometimes a Sunday because you're trying to work your way up that bill because you start off as a 10 minute and then, then you get to a 15 and you're kind of stretching your 10 to a 15 then you get a good 15 then you're going to a 20 and you're just moving up bills and then you get thrown in the stand we're like try emceeing you're dead chatty try emceeing you'll be good at emceeing and that whole time and I think somebody did say to me I was one of the fastest acts to move through the levels of the stand, like to go from a middle 10 and 20, what would that have been, 2013, I, the Golden, I, 2013, the Golden Jubilee was my first ever weekend, to go from that middle 10 spot to a headliner at the end of 2017 was ridiculously quick, but they could see the progression, they could see that I was making it, and I would just gig, for wherever, wherever, because see as much as with the stand is lovely and it is lovely and it is my absolute spiritual home and it is food for my soul. I just love that Glasgow stand. I love all the stands, but I really love Glasgow. You don't learn, do you know what I mean? Because it's perfect, it's set up for you to have a perfect gig. It's like going to having a cup final at Hamden. It's just meant for you to have a really good game. 
you need to go to Arbroath on a Tuesday night. Do you know what I mean? You need to go to the bowling clubs and the golf clubs and all that because that that's graft. That's real graft. And that's what I done. I just gigged wherever I could, whenever I could, and just just kept as much as what I was selling out these solo shows. I just kept my head down and got on with it. And and it, it takes a lot. So if you had I don't know, any advice for someone that's getting into comedy or maybe someone that's kind of done that, the same kind of course and they're, they're doing it they're where Danny was, they're doing that graft and they're kind of struggling a bit, what would your advice be? Because now you're smashing it. Do you know what you, you have to do? You have to get your head down and you have to work and you have to travel. And I don't mean you need to go and do the comedy store in London and you need to do the glee and you need to, you don't need to do any of these things at the beginning. At the beginning... You need to get as much stage time as possible. You don't need to turn over a lot of material. You just need to get a right good 10 minutes. And you only get that 10 by starting with a good 5 or a decent 5 and building it up to a 10. And as you build that up, you become better. And your stagecraft becomes better. How you handle yourself, how you speak, how you deal with certain situations on stage and you just become more and more experienced. You know, like when you're an apprentice and your first day in sight, you go in there and you've got your wee set of screwdrivers and, you know, your wee pliers and your wee snips and that's you. But at the end of your apprenticeship, you're sitting there with a full toolbox. Five years down the line from the end of that apprenticeship, you've got a van racked with stuff. And as you're doing gigs, you need to be able to go into that van and pull out that thing that you only ever use once every 18 months and you need to do that and you need to do that because certain gigs require certain skills and you only get those skills by gigging so get yourself plenty of stage time don't turn over your material get your material and hone it to within an inch of its life and most importantly do not be a cunt Beautiful. Before we wrap up, plug some stuff, Susie. Uh, so, I've got a couple of stuff coming up. So, I do a monthly gig at the Comedy Cellar at Maxi's Bar. Uh, this month, because we're coming up to Comedy Festival in March, we will have three shows on the 18th, no, the 11th, the 18th, and the 27th, uh, which is comedians all running out their stuff for the Comedy Festival. So, if you want to come down, get a wee flavour, see what's on, and then go and see them, that would be great. Then I've got an in conversation at the Dry Gate where I will be drinking Rise Up Mango <laughs> and Orange Pale Ale. We are, we are sending this one to get paid, aren't we? Honestly, <laughs> so good, man. So good. Uh, I'll be drinking that. And uh, that's an in conversation with the man who was referred to at the BBC as Mr. Hogmanay, Mr. Philip Differ, who brought us all only Ricky Fulton, Scotch and Rye, yes. only an excuse, like so much stuff, stuff that we all grew up watching. Uh, so Phil's going to be interviewing me at Drygate, which is a mile for the house, so I'll probably be smashed that night. 15 it is, March. I, it is also the day of the old firm game, so I'll be smashed that night. And uh, then the big one is the King's Theatre, March the 28th. Glasgow King's brand new show called Born Believer. I'm actually really proud of this show. I've performed it 10 times on tour. Uh, I'm just tightening it all up. I'm actually going to London next week to run all through it. So uh, there's about 300 tickets left. It's going to be a cracking night. I'm on out. I'm on out and see a wee fat lesbian on a big old stage. On <laughs> a Saturday night as well. On Come the on, biggest like, stage, A great bit of comedy on a Saturday night so you can get pushed before it and pushed after it and pushed during it. Happy you, days. If you sneak your booze in. Happy days. <laughs> aye. Aye. 
I'm not like, condoning that. It's like that. the football, just in your jacket. Well, for being there. <laughs> Swap the coffee for a bloody gin and have another enema. And you'll be fine. <laughs> We've said this about a few people recently, Susie. Um, we could definitely talk to you all night. Ah, oh, this has been great we'll, fun. We'll, we'll get you back in because it'd be lovely to hear how the Kings went and just have more chats with you. Defo, man. I'd love it. I'd love it. Be magic. Excellent. Thank you very much, Paul. Cheers, boys. That was Drunk Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast, go listen to some of the other ones. The old you would have. If you're on socials, like us there as well. Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Therapy. It's something weird on Twitter, which I can't remember right now.